Welcome back to another episode of the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and since our last episode, man, we've had a lot go down. The NBA is back in business. They kicked off games in late July, and it's been really fun to watch these games in the Orlando bubble. The Phoenix Suns have become an interesting storyline. They're 5-0. and They're red hot right now. The New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson, I mean, they've just kind of been a, a bit of a downer in the bubble. And speaking of a, a downer, how about the Milwaukee Bucks? I was expecting a lot more coming out of this layoff, and I've been kind of disappointed in Milwaukee. But one of the coolest things going on in the bubble, how about Luka Doncic? Luka Doncic right now is red hot, and people are seeing why this guy is going to be one of the best players in the NBA for years to come. Uh, also since then, our Chicago Bulls. Now, they're not in the bubble, but there's been some intrigue for sure, and it has to do with Jim Boylan. We talked about Jim Boylan's job status in our last episode, coming off the heels of Casey Johnson's column about the Bulls maybe playing the long game with Jim Boylan. In Casey's column, he mentioned that financial ramifications for the 2021 season could keep Jim Boylan as the Bulls' head coach, and that Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley have been dealing more directly with Boylan, especially with player scouting. Now, again, that was a column. It was just Casey's take, but usually Casey comes at things with a lot of knowledge and nuance. In the last couple weeks, we've heard other rumblings, and we saw a report from Joe Cowley last week from the Chicago Sun-Times that... There is growing momentum towards Jim Boylan coming back as the head coach and that this Delete 8 bubble that was supposed to happen with the eight teams left out of Orlando, that it was going to give Karnaschovas and Eversley a chance to evaluate Boylan. With that out of the equation, the Bulls are just maybe going to stand pat with Boylan and that Michael and Jerry Reinsdorf aren't willing to pay Jim Boylan to go away and... They figure that with next year being a tough year financially for a lot of teams around the league, they're better off just keeping Boylan. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense. I mean, Jim Boylan's making, what, $2 million a year? If they fired him now, hired a new coach, one of these assistants around the league, I mean, these guys are only going to make, what, $2.5 million a year? So you're paying $4 million to let Boylan go away and to get your new coach? Like in the NBA, financial losses are not, pandemic or not, that's like chump change. So it's kind of confusing and a bit concerning. So with all this going on, there's nobody, in my opinion, better to talk to than Salim Surtawala. He co-hosts the Bulls Gold podcast, including today's show. He's been on our podcast four times. So I'm really excited to talk with him because he comes at everything with nuance and a lot of thought behind it. So There's nobody better, in my opinion, to talk to about this restart and really what's going on with Jim Boylan and the Bulls. So let's bring him on right now. Salim, thanks for coming on. How you doing? I'm good, Matt. Appreciate you having me back on. How are you doing? Uh, You know what? Can't complain. All things considered, doing safe, doing well. I hope you're safe and well also. Yeah, yeah. Safe, well, uh, enjoying sports again that are back. And yeah, pretty much everything's going well. You know, I think that's the one bright spot. If you're, you know, a sports fan like you and I are, like, I feel like a pig in shit in that regard. Like, there's there's a lot of games that you can just catch. You got the NBA in the bubble. You got the NHL tournament. 
you have Major League Baseball. Like, this is something that, that's very unprecedented. We don't get all of the sports at once. Yeah, exactly. It's It's been exciting to see the NBA bubble working so well. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of frustrations with other leagues, but uh, luckily for us, like, I know I'm, like yourself, are more NBA fans than anything, so we're, we're excited that the NBA at least has gotten it right, and you know, every time they do these testings, you they come back with zero positive tests, and the games obviously have been exciting as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's an interesting point you bring up the the leagues that have done the bubbles. You know, MLS, NHL, and of course the NBA. They're kind of hitting all the right notes, and things are going smoothly. Knock on wood. But like you know, Major League Baseball, there it's it's been a bit of a struggle. They've had you know the two outbreaks in. Miami and then with with the St. Louis Cardinals so you're kind of seeing this bubble formats really really working well yeah yeah exactly Uh, you know we're we're seeing the NBA that they did it the right way and it's worked out really well so um we we should expect you know originally I should I, I was I was one of the pessimistic ones where um I figured the league would end again just because they were going into Florida where Florida was kind of becoming a hotbed and you were seeing increases in these cases every day and Florida was at a point where they were having more cases than the entire like European Union at one point. So <laughs> so seeing that and then I was like, oh man, the season's going to get canceled again. But, you know, they this bubble, the literal bubble, they've been very strict on it. They're not messing around. Anyone steps like a foot outside of the uh, dotted, like, you know, the imaginary line, they're quarantined. They're like, nope, well, you can't come in. So they've been very, very strict about it and, and they're keeping up with everything and, and testing, regular testing, and making sure these guys are safe. So, hey, you know, great for great for the NBA for able to do it, and and it's been, you know, with with watching these teams play, we're seeing, you know, the crowd. Not there's no crowds out there, but you're still seeing. I feel like not really teams that have missed a beat, and you're seeing still the same competitive, you know, spirit out there. No, and you know, the, you kind of mentioned it too. The NBA, I think the the guidelines they've put in place, the protocols they've put in place, um, it's really showing. And they they were kind of getting criticized. I felt like early on, like in May, June, about taking their time. But I think you see the benefits of taking your time and coming out with a really fleshed out plan that it's it's working for them. And again, knock on wood, and, and you hope it, it keeps going well. Be- before we get into the Orlando bubble and just the the restart. Um, and, and the games that have been going on. I just wanted to set set some things straight. You know, the last time you were on was in April, and it was your third time on the Rebuildable podcast. Now, everybody that comes on for a third time is officially inducted into the Rebuildable Three Timers Club. Um, and I just had a boneheaded mistake. I, I had forgotten it was your third time, and you did not get that that usual treatment. So I want to give that to you now. Welcome to the three timers club. You're technically a fourth timer now, but you are, you are an official member of the rebuildable three timers club. So congratulations. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I think we, we, we worked it out and I think I had, uh, had gotten recommended. You want a guest that had never been on your show before who, uh, Michael Walton, uh, who's very, my, sorry, shout out to Michael. He's, 
probably one of the brightest as far as when it comes to NBA and especially the draft. I he's one of those guys that I'm amazed like how he knows so much because he actually he's not one of those fake guys either. He actually watches all the clips and he goes and looks at it. He's not just, you know, shot giving opinions on stuff that he's barely done any research on. So yeah, he's very wealth of knowledge when it comes to the draft. So and and obviously just in the NBA as well. But yeah, he he was. Uh, I figured he would be a good guest for you to have on. Oh yeah, he was he was fantastic. And actually, during that episode, I and I don't do this a lot, but I even said to him like, "I'm booking you now. You, you're going to come on before the draft, so we can talk about some of these prospects because he was breaking it down really well." for what could be some good prospects for the Bulls even back in, I think it was late May, early June. Um, so definitely a fan, fantastic guest and a great recommendation. But, you know, and I'm glad to have you on for this episode because I we were kind of shooting the shit on, to let people behind the curtain here, we were shooting the shit over Twitter. You know, I said to you, you're, you're one of my favorite guests to have on. I think it's because you're very, very nuanced. You You always have, I think, really good takes. I think we align a lot on some of our NBA thoughts and our Bulls thoughts for sure. If I renamed the show Gentile and Company, you definitely would be in the team photo for Company. I want you to know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. You would, I was joking with you. You said that you would, with Cap, you would have to shave your head bald. Like oh, Cap, God. So. <laughs> I don't know if we need like another Cap in this world. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think we're good with one Cap. Like, I... You know, Cap's not for everybody. I respect the hell out of him. I, you know, I like him. I kind of get the the bit. I get the, you know, way he approaches life. Like he's just a positive dude. Um, but my God, that guy is. I mean, he makes a cup of coffee nervous. You know what I mean? Like, just... <laughs> he's. I like him because I think he's he's genuine and he's passionate, and like I I I appreciate that. At least he he sticks to his guns to who he is and. I feel like he's very uh he's very opening per- open person as far as like a welcoming person too. So I feel like, you know, when you com- when 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 the relationships that he has on that show with is people think a lot of times people tweet at him, uh tweet at the guys like Zetterman and Black and and Abdallah and all them and they think, you know, that Cap hates these guys or these guys hate Cap, but they're just having fun. That's all it is. It's not that serious. They don't really dislike each other. They're friends, you know. They're at the very, you know, at, at the very least, they're coworkers that get along, you know. So they're. I mean, I, I think they're actually friends off the, uh, you know, behind the scenes, like off the uh, radio waves. But that's what it comes off as that they're actually because they go hang out at each other's. Like I know, like Waddle has those uh, Super Bowl parties. They all go. Though you know, whenever things are happening, as far as that they're going, I know I remember like seeing pictures of them at you know like personal events and things together. So obviously they, you know, you don't invite people to your personal things if you don't like them. So yeah. well, and you know the thing is like they rib cap so much on that station, and he he takes it all in stride. I think you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's a bit though. It's a bit. It's part of the show. It's that's what it is. They're not. I mean, they're not really trying to go after Cap f- just because they like think they want need to. It's just part of the show. It's like a bit that they do, with, especially with Black and Zetterman, to try to because because it's entertaining. It is. It's flat out. It's entertaining. Absolutely. And you know, actually, that would be a fun podcast to do with you because I know you're a big 
1,000 in sports radio follower like me, I, I think we could probably do a whole podcast on like the, the personalities and producers at 1,000 and, and 670 the score. I think we could do a good a good episode breaking down some of that stuff because it's it's wildly entertaining if you listen to it. Yeah, hundred percent it is. It's it's fun. They they have a good time. Uh, reason you know I love want, listening to a lot of these uh, sports radios. It's like it's just like friends talking sports and just ribbing each other and giving each other a hard time. That's all it is, and that's what I love about that's what I love about sports radio. To get back to the to the to the restart. It's been very entertaining, some of these games. We've had, uh, I think, a good balance. Like, some of the games to start were really, like, barn burners. We had high-scoring games. We've had some defensive struggles lately. What's been your biggest takeaway right now from the games inside the the bubble since we, we kicked things off in late July? I, like I said, to me, it seems like a lot, of some, a lot of these teams, you know, are having really left, like left off as far as being too rusty. It seems like they're ready to go. I expected to see some more sloppy play, but it hasn't really transpired that way. They've been competitive, and it's nice to see some of these young teams like the Suns that have, I think they're undefeated in the bubble so far. Uh, if, if not, maybe have lost only one game, and they've pushed themselves into having an, an actual opportunity to make the actual playoffs now. Uh, you've seen a guy like Devin Booker who is very talented and he gets unfairly judged as being a losing player and he's showing that hey on a big stage big you know important environment like trying to you know make the playoffs I can be a high level player so that's nice to see and we're obviously the teams like Memphis have been kind of disappointed but that has large parts to do with injuries um I think it's been fun to see Another aspect of this bubble is going to be interesting and fun is because these guys that are in the bubble are also like going and watching each other's games. So it's funny seeing like Damian Lillard potentially going to a Clippers game and maybe he'll heckle them or something. I don't know. Uh, that would be fun to see, but yeah, it's it's just been exciting. I think it's been it's been really good basketball. Uh, Toronto is looks like they're just like a well-oiled machine. They don't they're like the new Spurs essentially. They you whoever they they miss they they lose Kawhi and they're still on the trend to have one of the best records in the league, uh, which which is unfortunate because like I. Not unfortunate that they're in the best record leagues. Unfortunate Kawhi left because I think if Kawhi stayed now more than ever, I was always thought like you know they could re- they could win again. But I'm confident in saying if Kawhi was on that team, they would guarantee to repeat. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like that that could have been a kind of mini mini dynasty out of the East because the East is not like I feel like you know teams like Milwaukee, Boston the Sixers there's some flaws there and I I feel like Toronto could have been head and shoulders with a guy like Kawhi back this year yeah and I question and not uh, Paul George is a really high level player but I question like well look at Pascal Siakam he's taking that step they have other players that really like I think Kyle Lowry kind of gets judged unfairly he's a really good player he's he is an all-star and he, I think he kind of gets underrated sometimes and underappreciated on what he provides, obviously because of the past uh, Raptors playoffs uh, 
disappointment. I mean, it's it's kind of like judging Zach Levine based off of putting him in a position that he shouldn't have been in. Like he shouldn't have been the best player on that team, you know. <laughs> it's you can't judge a player based on that. This is like you can't judge Zach. It's not his fault that he's the Bulls' best player. Technically, he shouldn't be. Uh, but it doesn't mean that Zach isn't a quality player that can be part of success on a team. So that's why I say with Zach Kyle Lowry, I think now you finally see him. Now you've seen Pascal Siakam take that step as becoming the best player on that team again, even after Kawhi left. And that's why I thought that what is how much better is Paul Jordan than Pascal Siakam? I question that. So, and then I look at the entire depth of that roster that the uh, Raptors have. They're able to develop a guy like uh, uh, Aninobu, um, other players like Van Vliet. We've seen them, you know, bring out of the G League essentially and develop into one of their probably, arguably, a top fifteen point guard in this league. So, yeah, we're just seeing, uh, you know, a well-oiled machine from top to bottom in their organization and that team, and they're just. There, there's just there's a team that are fun to root for where they don't have any guys that are like that you dislike. So and obviously they have like good veterans too, like Ibaka and and Marcus All that all plays into you know that they know how to play at a high level and a, I mean at a high IQ level. So yeah, it's they're they're a team that looks like you know can at least maybe give Milwaukee a scare. You know another team that's been a lot of fun to watch and really a player that's been fun to watch is is the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic I mean we're we're recording this on Sunday evening but you know the the game he had Saturday night um on August 8th I mean that was just insane the triple double You, you really see how how special this guy really is like Luka Doncic I have full confidence he's going to be a top three player in the league in the next season or two Oh, 100%. He, him, and Giannis is going to, are they going to be running this league? I can guarantee, you can guarantee that. Uh, We'll see what happens with Zion, but I think health is going to be a big factor for him. But I think right now, I I can't, I just can't see. And it's, it's nice to see guy like NBA has been always considered an international league. And it's nice to see where you have two guys in, Luca and and Giannis that you know are essentially you know they are they're international players so so it's good to see and last night's game that game was fun and the things Luca was doing it's just absurd the pass that he had forget I mean it's not like no one's done that pass before we've seen guys like LeBron and even Harden do those passes but at that moment to have like the the balls to <laughs> you know, just and they asked him about. It. I was like, "What you, you know?" I saw it, so you know, I, I just went for it. It's just like, but in that moment, in that crunch time, when you need in that pressure moment, and him to be able to just not like behind under his own leg and between, like get it right between two defensive players on the money into his rolling man's bread basket for the easy dunk. It's just. Oh. That's just I just lost it. I, 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 I kept watching that play over and over again. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe this dude. Yeah, he. I mean, it's it's the ability to I mean pass the ball, but you look at the size that that he is. But he's what like six seven six eight. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he just has these quick feet too. He, you're right. Him and Giannis, I think, are going to be probably one and one a 
for a long time. And I want to actually quickly transition to, to Giannis and Milwaukee. I think that's been an interesting takeaway for me, has been watching Milwaukee kind of play a little flat in the bubble. Um, I'm questioning some of the supporting cast in Milwaukee and, and the bench in Milwaukee. I just This has been my whole, I think, issue with, with the Bucks is it, they look like a great regular season team. I question, do they have the roster to get you from point A to point B, to get you to that championship level? And I, I just have my doubts, and I, I'm kind of seeing that play out in the bubble right now. Yeah, I think it's it's weird. I think they they do, but you need to see more. So I think guys like Chris Middleton, I think they're good now. They're taking he's taking a step. I think you you've seen Brook Lopez as far as stepping up and helping Giannis score offensively. I don't know like Bledsoe is going to be the key factor for them. He needs to be consistent. Like obviously he brings it defensively, but he needs to be able to. In uh, his offense, he needs to be consistent and and provide some help for any any help he can provide. Obviously, off of Giannis and and Middleton, that's going to be a big factor, and that's that's where it comes into play. And you and people question, you know, they do they have a second star? I technically I do think Middleton qualifies. I feel like Middleton this season has been like a top twenty player because he's he took a big jump as far as being able to create for himself. As a, how efficient he was as a defensive player, too. He's solid as a defensive player. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think it's – and it, it comes down to Giannis, too. He needs to be able to hit that mid-range jumper. Uh, now, the three-point ball is not necessarily the biggest thing, but if he can hit that three-point jump jump shot, it's going to it's gonna have to – he's going to have to learn how to, you know, make defenses respect him in that regard. Mm. And, you know what? Like- my whole concern would be if, if I'm a Bucks fan, if you don't capitalize this year, if you don't get to the, the finals this year, you're a year out from Giannis potentially being a free agent. Now, I get that this pandemic's kind of maybe changed things a little bit and, and it could change and put some or cause some ramifications in terms of how players get paid. But that summer 2021 could be a very interesting free agency class and we all know Giannis could end up being that big fish. Yeah, exactly. And it'll be I guess it'll be interesting to see, like you said, with the cap, how that turns out, where the caps will land, and then we'll see what teams right now I think a teams like Miami and I think even Golden State had the ability to make room. Like I don't think they had flat out um availability to just offer him a max, but they had enough space where they could potentially say, "Hey, look, if you want to come here, we can wiggle it around and and maybe even force a sign and trade with the Bucks or something like that." But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the where the cap lands because the players' contracts aren't going to go down; <laughs> they those are guaranteed. So it's going to be the cap that goes, you know, fluctuates obviously because that's dependent off of basketball revenue or basketball income, if you will. Uh, and yeah, so that's going to be interesting. But with Giannis, people say like you know he's committed to the Bucks. He's how he, he Bucks fans get very angry and say no, he's not going anywhere. But I feel like this is the NBA, man. They they all say they're not going anywhere until they do. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like you, how many how many times? No, like I said, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like how 
How many times did KD say he's not going anywhere? LeBron said he was going to stay. He would never leave Cleveland until they won a champion. When he won them a championship, and then all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm not getting any younger. And if I extend here, then I have to stay with them till I'm 29. And then what if I still don't win a ring? Let me go to this organization that I know they have a history of built winning championships. Like you go to Miami, Miami has at least a recent history of building championship teams. Warriors have a hi- recent history of building championship teams. So, you but you're you're 100 right. You you can't assume that a star is just going to say even if you take their word because we've seen it too much in the NBA. Players move around all the time. Like. That is just the new norm. So it would not surprise me if Giannis decides that he's going to hit the open market and test out free agency. I think it's frustrating as a Bulls fan because technically in the year 2021, the Bulls would have massive flexibility to add somebody like Giannis. And with the young roster they have, a new front office, you could see a scenario like that. But I feel like everything that's going on with Jim Boylan right now is actually handcuffing that even from potentially happening. It's very frustrating right now with with the Jim Boylan situation because I feel like the NBA is watching. Yeah, and it's it's it is like you said, it's frustrating, and there's a lot of re- people making a lot of you know, I don't know if it's excuse is the right word, but reasoning for why he's still around. Oh, because you know, AK is giving him, you know, really evaluating him and. It's like, I don't think it's any of that BS. It's basically, I, I, my opinion is that ownership is not letting him fire him just yet. And I'm not, I don't, I feel like it's getting more reality that he might just stick around. And obviously we saw that Cowley article recently where he named, where he said sources told him that it might become more and so a reality. But I feel like it's not AK that, is saying I want to figure out who you are. I, it's just he's being strapped, and it's that's frustrating too because we were told he was going to have full autonomy to make decisions and to come in and say, you know, we need to get rid of Boylan and we need to bring in a better coach. And I get this; the pandemic happened after the fact, and sorry, the pandemic had already happened, but I get that we didn't realize. Uh, how severe the pandemic would become uh, back in March. We didn't realize, hey, there's a real strong possibility that we may not have fans next year even in the stands. And we're going to have a lot of, you know, that's what, 40% of league revenue that could be gone. But still, if, keeping him around for, what, $1.7 million when your entire team hates him, like none of them like him. You've never seen any, you know, words of encouragement. Even guys like Sato, they give you very like, you know, blase answers. Who are very polite or professional, and and to the harshest critic being a guy like Daniel Gafford, who flat out just said, "Nah, I don't like that dude," <laughs> and 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 he kind of you know he pretty much just said, "Nope, don't like him." Uh, on on the streaming on Twitch, I think it was right. He was playing. And, and so, yeah, it just, it's perplexing at the very least. I would just get rid of him. And if fine, you, if the ownership is saying we don't want to hire a new coach. I mean, I don't know, maybe you get an interim coach, but I, I don't know. It just seems, it just seems like it's, it, it's, 
wasting time. It's not really because you're evaluating him. It's because you're being strapped by ownership. Well, and I don't get this reasoning for wanting to be cheap now. Like you, you just said, Jim Boylan is going to cost you around $2 million. If you were to fire him now and bring in a new coach, let's say you hired Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin's probably going to cost you two and a half million a year, three million a year, maybe at the most. I mean, you're talking four to five million that you're paying to let Boylan go away and to hire a new head coach. I mean, in NBA terms, that's chump change. Even if you're losing nine figures, that's that's literally pennies in the NBA world. So I don't understand this whole reasoning of, of tightening the purse strings. I feel like there's something else. I feel like this is more of a, a, a personal relationship between Michael Reinsdorf and Jim Boylan that's keeping this from, from happening, that's keeping him from losing his job. Yeah, it could be. It could be. But we, we, we've seen this organization do penny-pinching things, too. So we've seen them sell in, in the beginning of a rebuild when you want to have as many opportunities to draft a player – you see them selling a draft pick because they know they're not going to make the playoffs next year. So Grindelwald wants that revenue, so they sells it for cash considerations for three point five million dollars. Which, by the way, did cover Jake Berger's bonus with the White Sox. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. People always say he he does he operates the Sox the same way, man. He he he's not he's not he's not penny pinching with the bulls to just blindly spend for the socks and people will talk about oh look at the contract they they gave to grandel look the socks are below league minimum average on salary for uh, for roster salary they could spend a lot more but they don't because that's how it is that's how the, the white Sox operate they're a jerry Ryan's of owned team and they find a way to you know make money making decisions and moves all these moves that they make is they have money in mind. Now, I'm not saying that Ryzov doesn't care about winning, but he do, It's he cares about winning with profits in mind. Mm-hmm. Winning at a cost. Yeah, yeah, winning at a cost. So he's not going to just go like a Steve Ballmer and I don't care, I want to win. He's going to go the route of, well, I do want to win, but you know what? I, I'd rather have this $3.5 million. Well, and it's weird how the Bulls operate with coaches because they usually try to go for coaches that are a little cheaper, okay? But then they'll go on a spending spree occasionally. Like Fred Hoiberg costs them money because I think, you know, he was a, a hotly pursued coach. I know that's crazy to think of now, but five years ago he was. You know, Fibs, they did give him a, a bigger extension for him to be one of the high-paid coaches in the league. What's crazy, though, is what the Bulls do a lot, and they've set this precedence of paying guys to sit you know you can go all the way back to tim floyd they paid tim floyd to sit while bill cartwright took over they paid bill cartwright to sit when scott skiles took over they paid skiles to sit when they had an interim coach and then brought on vinnie del negro they let vinnie del negro sit they bring in thibs they pay thibs to sit they pay hoiberg and that was really expensive like they were paying 10 million dollars to let Thibs sit and to pay Hoiberg. And then, you know, recently with with Boylan, while he's coaching, they were paying Fred Hoiberg to sit for, you know, almost a, a year. So it's it's weird that now they're going to get cheap 
And I get it that you have this pandemic and I get, like you said, nobody, I think, forecasted that 2021 could be a fanless season, but I just, I don't get it. I don't really see why you would have to, you know, pinch pennies for something like that. Because in my opinion, this, this is potentially detrimental. Like you changed your front office. You gained goodwill from your fan base. You gained goodwill probably across the league. And now you're going to skimp out on a head coach who, you know, like you mentioned, is kind of toxic with the current roster. That's not going to look good around the league in other players' eyes and in agents' eyes. I I agree. It it, it will not. And it just is perplexing. It is just perplexing. And I'm going to say, like, I'm not saying that. While I feel like it's feeling like Jim Bowen's going to be back, I'm still holding on hope that somewhere along the line in, like, September when the, the playoffs end, or the finals, be, and I can't wait, some that time in September, then be a final is, I think. And when that comes about, I, I'm hoping that they just go ahead and move on. Because, like I said, all these reasons they're giving, well, because, oh, so-and-so playoff teams are not are, are, are in, the, in the bubble, so they can't interview coaches. They could have. Because we saw the Knicks interview guys like Jason Kidd and M. Udoko, who M. Udoko was one of the guys that the Bulls were supposedly rumored to be connected to. Uh, and I'm not saying I want to be like the Knicks. I'm just going to add as an example, saying that yeah, they the excuse that they can't interview team people in the bubble that's BS because they can and they and teams that are also in a coaching search did that. And like I said, you know, saying that him he's he's you know reviewing um, analyzing Jim Boylan. What's there to review? Like you have game tape. You've talked to him enough now. You know who he is. And 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 now that the, the other thing, too, like he's giving him opportunity to make changes to his coaching staff. Like there was like an assistant uh, that he was allowed to replace or something like that. I can't forget. I can't remember the name. It was, I think it was maybe like a video coordinator, maybe. I, I don't know who it was exactly, but it was someone on the Bulls bench that he was allowed to let go, and it, it was reported that it was the Jim Boylan decision. He's allowing him to get, you know, involved in the draft process. Like, he's getting advice from Boylan or getting thoughts from Boylan and talking to him about the draft process. Uh, they're also saying, I mean, Casey Johnson repeatedly says Jim Boylan is empowering, uh, sorry, AK is empowering Jim Boylan to do his job. So all these things, it's just like, why? No, and this is this has been, I think, the most perplexing thing because I, I honestly thought when AK and then Mark Eversley were on, I thought it was going to be like a matter of, of weeks. I thought it was going to be sometime in May that we were going to hear about the Bulls, you know, canning Boylan and starting a coaching search. There's been I, two thoughts that I've had of why Boylan could be still lingering around. Because I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm still holding out hope, and, and there's a good part of me that feels they will have a new coach for the 2021 season, as crazy as that sounds now with all these reports. Um, you know, and, and, and two, before I get to that, you know, Casey Johnson did write his in the form of a column. Now, Casey is very careful in how he writes columns. There's usually a lot of fact behind it. So that definitely, you know, raised my eyebrow. 
Um, and Joe Colley, I'm hit or miss with Joe Colley. I'm never sure if, if there's good sources behind information, knowing his history with the Reinsdorfs and you know both those franchises. Now, that aside, there's been two reasons why I think maybe they've kept Boylan around. Um, one was that I think they might have wanted to just kind of have him hang around for this Delete 8 bubble that was supposed to happen in Chicago. And just have them there to kind of run some training camps and do some scrimmaging because really it's it's a lost season. You're not really getting any competitive play. It's more to keep your players in shape and evaluate them. And my second part of that is I thought evaluating not Boylan, but maybe evaluating the assistant coaches. I brought this up on a past episode that evaluating Fleming and Rogers and Stack and seeing who here might be somebody that could be interesting for the next head coach. Because those are three enticing assistant coaches around the league. Especially Rogers and Fleming are two assistants that, you know, I think any coach would want on their staff. So I thought maybe they were trying to evaluate those coaches as assistants. I'm thinking outside the box a little bit. I'm probably pulling stuff out of my ass on this. But those were two reasons I thought maybe they were keeping Boylan around for this Delete 8 experiment. But, I mean, once we kind of figured out that wasn't happening, like, now I'm kind of in, I'm I'm in the red. I am very concerned that this is actually them being forced to keep him on and trying to, you know, turn chicken shit to chicken salad. Yeah, it's, and the, the, the thought that maybe they're valuing the assistance, but he already has a relationship with Chris Fleming. He knows him. He knows him from the Denver days. Like, they have a prior relationship. And even if you wanted to evaluate him, I mean, you can you can let go of Boylan and make him an interim coach and say, okay, let's see what you got, and we'll, we'll work with that. And honestly, like, let's say if money was the issue, let, let just let go of Boylan and make Chris Fleming an interim and, and say, like, look, yeah, you're actually going to have an opportunity to earn – a long-term deal here not don't just do it because you're being cheap but say hey look if you like kind of like if you make a strong impression next year with the with development with these players uh guys like Lowry show back up you know bounce back we were seeing good play from kobe we're seeing good development from wendell all these guys yeah let we'll keep you long term we'll find a long-term extension for you but i'd rather do that than then try to putz around with Boylan here and, and, and for any kind of, you know, re, any and for any reason at all. Well, you know, this this perception about them keeping Boylan too, you know, we talked about the, the cost associated with it. It just grows this narrative that the Bulls are, are cheap or the Reinsdorfs are cheap and don't do anything to win at all costs. We've kind of heard that hinted a lot in the past I know you when you listen to ESPN 1000 when Brian Windhorse comes on, he often cites the fiscal conservatism of the Reinsdorfs. And I feel like this just grows that perception that Bulls will not do anything to win at all costs, especially if it's going to cost money. They are not going to do what it takes. And for a player you know, who's a free agent, we brought up the Giannis example. It's kind of tough to sell to Giannis, well, we'll do anything to get whatever player you want to come here to get whatever coach you want to come here. We'll do whatever it takes for us to win championships. What can you cite? You know, that you have a, a kind of a shitty history behind you 
especially with what we just saw in the last dance. Now it brought that back into the forefront. And now you have this going on with Jim Boylan. It just, it's, it's frustrating. And it, I feel like it could do some damage, especially when you have big free agency class coming up next summer. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even thinking about free agency class next summer. I'm thinking about them them needing to develop their players and creating, uh, developing a winning culture or a culture that looks positive like the Brooklyn Nets did. At least they were able to build something saying that as there's a positive environment there. And then, you know, we can, and then from that, they were able to, lower free agents after what two three years i think it was three years it took them to get there i i don't expect the bulls to be players next off season that that would be far-fetched that would be completely far-fetched for them to be considered players and i mean we should probably at that point kiss ak and eversley's asses and feet if they're able to in one season turn this franchise into an actual player in free agency like and i'm not talking about just getting guys like that i'm talking about some big name guys well I thought, and this is just, you know, maybe maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm just drinking too much of the Kool-Aid. I kind of thought with a better head coach, like if they made the coaching change right now, and I, I guess if it was all things equal, you know, in a non-pandemic world, I think I kind of viewed it if they had a different head coach even this year, we could have seen a completely different Bulls team. Maybe. And, and maybe. Especially, and especially with the landscape of the Eastern Conference. I mean, there's no doubt to me they would have been – eighth or seventh seed in this east so i just feel like with a new head coach you might be able to get a lot more out of this group because you know i'm not like a a massive laurie marketing fan but i think you can get a much better laurie marketing from any head coach with a brain like if you had a monty williams on the bench if that was the the option they made last year i think you would have seen a, a different result and I think if, if they do get another head coach in here, if it is an Adrian Griffin, I could see it kind of getting to that. With Jim Boylan, I don't. With Jim Boylan, it, it kind of scares me to see if he's just going to hold back Lowry again. And really, you know, a guy like Wendell Carter, I haven't seen any development of Wendell Carter with Jim Boylan as head coach. And, like, those are the things we need to see with somebody else. And I think that could improve the Bulls' stock if that happens. That's true. That's true. It's If, if they get next season and and they get the right coach and all of a sudden they're you know our team that you know wins 42 43 games out of you know nowhere or something like that maybe that becomes enticing to a team in free agency but i still think i still think then you would need to be able to clear up enough cap space to get another star like you can't just be like let's say Giannis wants to come here but he's going to want to come here because if there's another star there and then unless Zach takes another step and becomes that guy, I mean, people talk about him being a borderline all-star, but I'm talking about more of us lined with being a, a top 20 player that, and Zach isn't, I don't think Zach is there. Yeah, and that's, I think, the, that would be the only issue you'd, you'd have. I know that the Bulls in the 2021 season set up to have pretty massive amounts of cap space now. That's with Zach Levine with one year on the books at at his contract, and I think Larry becomes you know extension eligible at that point. But you know you're right. It, the the enticing play could be that that Levine takes the next step, maybe All Star caliber step, and 
you have solid play from Laurie Markkinen, and then you might have the ability to bring in, you know, two free agents potentially, or you'll have more flexibility to move a guy like a Levine or, or a Laurie Markkinen. I think that could be the, the dream scenario, but you're right. A lot would have to play out. Like you, you would have to hit all the notes to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, we, we never know. And, I, and again, I, like my biggest concern right now is just player development. That's my biggest concern. And to, to get proper player development, I think you need to move out from Boylan. I don't know what the conversation is with him as far as how he's utilizing his roster. I don't know where that conversation is because we don't know. We, 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 you know, we're not, I wish we could be a fly on the wall for that, but he obviously, he did not maximize that roster. The only guy that got better is because Zach is someone that is, that is capable of being himself and creating for himself and doing that type of play. And then eventually we, like I didn't like for the most season last year, I didn't like how Kobe White was being utilized. I didn't like the green light he had to just go out there and chuck shots whenever he wanted to. There was no rhyme or there was no rhyme or reason in how Kobe White was playing. He would just go so here's here's the ball, go out there, just chuck shots away. You know, we're not gonna try to we drafted you to be the point guard of of our team and down the line, but we're not gonna actually develop your game as a point guard. We're just gonna say here, take the ball, chuck away. That was seemed like the philosophy for for Kobe. It didn't seem like there was any kind of, you know, you know, constraints around what his, you know, what the plan was with him. Uh, so, like as the season went on, we saw him get better, and I think maybe a little more under control. I don't know if that was what reason that was. I know partly with a shot, I said that his off the dribble shot improved because he changed the release on his shot. I think that's why I got more consistent. You, you didn't see that lower hitch release before it, uh, as opposed to, cause when he spots up, it's a, it's a completely fluid motion. The releases, you know, releases high enough where it's smoother. But when he was, when he was uh, playing, you know, in a sense where he was pulling up or off the dribble, he would release it lower. And that's why we, we didn't see uh, the same consistency with the shooting, but I think he, he improved that and whoever worked with him on that, I don't know, you know, that they should definitely get a credit for that, but, or if that was just him, I don't know what the deal was, but yeah, it just, there was a lot of things happened last year. Sorry if I went on a little tangent there, but there's a lot of things that happened last year that we were just kind of confused on with as far as how the players are being used and how they were being developed. Salim, look, you have the green light to go on tangents. You're, you're part of company in Gentile and company. Remember that <laughs> you, you can do that. Um, but you know, you're right though. I, I think, you know, Kobe White's development was frustrating. The, the lack of development from Wendell Carter. I think a lot of people have brought that up. One of my biggest complaints was it seemed like Laurie Markkinen since Jim Boylan's, been the head coach you know, even dating back to 1819 it seems like Laurie Markkinen is is relegated to spotting up like just just go stand on the outside and you know we'll, we'll, we'll get the ball to you I, I feel like they're not trying to get him into mismatches a lot and they're not trying to get the ball in his hands early in games and I feel like for a guy like Laurie it's important to get him in a rhythm and I felt like there wasn't that point of emphasis to do that a lot. And, you know, that was a really frustrating point for me last year because you, you need to see Laurie Markkinen take this next step. And, you know, he's a he's a key cog in, into all this working. You know, whether or not he's 
a superstar or a key piece that you can move to acquire a superstar. I mean, you have to see that development from him. I agree, and I, my frustrations always also lie with Laurie, not just with how he's being used. Um, we, I, I keep, you know, keep saying out loud, like from year one to now, what have we seen Lowry improve on? What have we, what has he added to his game? Like, I think I remember. I don't think much. Yeah, and I, I remember. I don't know who it was. Um, I remember somebody recently saying, you know, there was maybe it was like Kendall Gill, and they were sat sitting down at at media day or whatever it was media day last year, um, this this past year, um, and they asked him like, oh, so what did you work on your game, and what did you what did you improve, what did you work on your game, and and it seemed like Larry didn't really have a clear answer. So that's something you gotta wonder is like how, what does this guy do and what does he do in the off season? Does he actually, you know, we all like to say all our young guys are hard workers, but you know, there's a difference. There's a difference between being a hard worker at an amateur level and a hard worker at the professional level, and not to, not to uh, take a side step into a different sport, but you know, we we always hear the Mitch Trubisky is such a hard worker, but. Now we're seeing, oh, now he's finally focused. And it's like, wait, I thought he was a hard worker. So which one was it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it, I, I like to steal a, a line from Tom Waddle a lot. You know, Tom Waddle hosts show Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. You can work like a mule real hard or you can work like a thoroughbred and be smart. And, and I feel like that's kind of the difference. Like you could just keep working at things that you're good at. But if you're not working at things to actually improve your game, then then what does it matter? And I, I kind of do yeah. see that with, with Laurie. You know, it it is the, sta- the same skill set that he came into the league with. You know, he's still got that move that he does every time he goes to the basket. I mean, we've we've seen that kind of weird lay-in that, that he does. So again, the, yeah, the drag step that he does. Yeah, yeah. I was saying, and, and not to say that you shouldn't work on things that you're good at, too. You have to keep repetition in practice so, you, so those, that skill doesn't go away. Like a guy like Ray Allen lights out shooter but he still took a thousand shots a day like he didn't stop taking threes you know because he was good at them but but like i say yeah you have to improve add facets to your game to this day this guy Lowry's still gets pushed around by guards in the high post in the low post high post he can't figure out how to you know create for himself in that area and when I say when we talk about him being reliant on his teammates to create offense for him, I don't expect him to be this guy that gets the ball and and it's just gonna dribble into you know a, a crossover or or a step back and figure out how to create for himself like that. But I'm talking about his footwork. That's the biggest thing for me. When I see him in the post, is not and we talk about maybe his core isn't strong enough, but I think it's about his feet. He doesn't know how to move his feet properly. When he gets the ball in that in that high post, you look at guys like um, you look at guys like Jokic and all the uh, Jokic and all these guys. They know how to move their feet, and that's how they create for themselves in that in that area. Well, that's and, how you can create a shot, and that's what Lowry needs to learn how to do. Well, and you know it's funny you bring up a guy like like Nikola Jokic. Like imagine if Nikola Jokic had the athletic ability that Lowry Markkinen has. You know Nikola Jokic, it's the fact that his brain is wired way differently, right? He's he's 
got one of the smartest IQs on the court. You know, Laurie has natural ability. Like, he's got the speed. He's got the size. And it's just like he can't put it all together. And, you know, the only thing that, that he might not have is that quickness. Because, like, Jokic has... Yeah, he's not the fastest guy on the floor, but he has quick feet where he can make a lot of those moves around the basket or up in the high post away from the basket. So, like, yeah, it, it, it is frustrating because you, you could... There's a lot of guys like that. Like, a good example is, you know, Danilo Gallinari is a guy that it took a long time for him to really get it all together. And it was somebody that you thought was going to be a 20 and 10 guy, but um, but we're large. You really can't afford that to happen. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'll be happy if you turn into Danilo, man. Danilo's a good player. Danilo can score the ball. He can score the rock. He's a he's positive impact player, the guy. Has a consistent three ball. <laughs> but you know what? It, with Danilo Gallinari, it, it took how many stops before it finally came through? You know, well, like. Well, I think his was injury related, too. And I, I, I think I, I always felt like Danilo was he showed that game where he was. I mean, let me look up. Let me look up his numbers here. And I, I feel like he's been consistent for a long time. It was just always his health. You just kept getting injured all the time. That was the biggest issue with him, because I remember him in New York. He was, he was a solid player, and he looked like obviously. I think maybe if the injuries weren't a problem, he could have maybe been an all star by now, like been an all star in this league. But I think when you look at him, I think he was consistent. I mean, he was shot the ball. Let's see, look at his three ball right here. I'm gonna pull it up. He was always around that 37 mark for the. It feels like. You know, I guess the last couple of years he's he's been a lot better, but yeah, I I feel like since you know, I mean, it's been probably since post ACL. I feel like he's really come on since the injury, and it's kind of like a bizarre turn. But you're right; he's always been a really good three point shooter. That was the one thing that was weird about Laurie this year was the three point shot was way off. Like it was really inconsistent throughout the season, and that was one thing I don't think we we saw before like that was yeah. a little unsettling yeah and i have been i've, I've been i, I want to keep my my thought on here is and i would love to get your thoughts too on this i've i've noticed a lot of times when he shoots his feet are not always set like not 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 fundamentally set i'm not talking about like on the ground but just fundamentally set into a nice you know shooting motion to be able to get you know get your feet under you and as you're coming up, because it's not always, obviously, it's not about the follow through on the top as well, but it's also about your legs and how you're coming up. And I feel like a lot of times his feet are kind of oddly planted. So that's going to affect how, he, if he makes it or not. You know, that's funny. I This was just before the we, we got into this pandemic world. I was out with one of my friends at a bar we used to go to a lot. And um, I think this was like in January, maybe early February. And we were watching a Bulls game. And my friend was like, what the hell's wrong with Larry Markkinen's shot? And it was when he was shooting a three. And my friend made this observation. I, I, I guess I never noticed it. But from that moment, I, I started really paying attention to it. Like He looks like he's almost about to fall down when he hits the ground. Like... It's very awkward looking. It, it it just it looks unsettled. You're right. Like it's almost like somebody's falling into him. Does that make sense? Like Yeah, and and he's like I said and he's 
is rushed too. It's like yes. even when he's wide open, he rushes it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't know why that's the case. Like, there's there's been a lot of interesting things with Laurie that you know we've heard about. Like his diet's changed a lot. He's cut out like a lot of meat, and I guess there was a rumor that he's not really supplanting it with the right proteins. I mean, I it's it's weird. You have to read a lot of like finish press to know what's going on with with Laurie so you you never know so you kind of get like secondary reports on some of it but yeah like I I often wonder like what what's been stunting him like is it him or is it Boylan I think I think it's probably a split what upsets me with Boylan is when you see a player going through something like this like kind of having these rough patches here what can you do as a head coach to make sure you get the most out of them you know, and that's why I bring up like trying to get the ball into a guy like Laurie early in a game. You know, the old Bill Cartwright, Luke Longley method from the the dynasty days. Try to get him in in rhythm early and and get you know get his confidence up. That's what I would like to see more of with with a guy like Laurie. Real quick, as we wrap up here, first question: What do you think is actually going to happen with the coaching situation? Do you think just your your gut feeling? Do you think Jim Boylan's back for the twenty twenty one season? Or do you think there's a new coach on the bench? Right now, I'm leaning towards. I'm I'm worried that they're gonna bring him back. Um, I'm just hoping that something happens, because apparently that now there's rumors that they might, while the delete eight isn't going to happen, they might allow teams to still go, like so. Like once the bubble, like the teams that are get eliminated from the bubble, they're gonna allow those teams to leave or those teams will leave and then another team will replace them if you will so the some of the teams that it didn't make it will replace them to be able to not have games but use the facilities and i don't know if there'll be like open televised practices and like you know the one of the teams going against each other in a scrimmage in a sense um but yeah, so that might happen, and maybe if that happens, and then then we'll see movement, um, because I feel like that'll probably be revenue for the Bulls, right? Uh, somehow, and maybe that'll be again coming down to money where uh, Ryan's are like, yeah, okay, cool, you can fire him now, um, you know, or let him give the green light to change, go hire whatever coach he he sees fit. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm nervous. I'm getting like, if you ask me this. What two months ago I would have said no. I'm confident Jim Boylan will be gone, but uh, like to me it's not about. And people are saying, well, this put like puts bad, you know, faith on. Maybe we didn't hire the right people, but I I don't necessarily blame him because in knowing this ownership, uh, I I say like yeah, I think ownership is 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 tying his hands, and that could that's just gonna be a reality too for Bulls fans is. You know, we our front office we need to need did need to change because they were just bad at making on court basketball moves, uh, just bad decision after bad decision, and that's why we turned into what we were, uh, and un, and unability to you know develop players and things like that. But our ownership is still there. You know, they're they're not changing. So I still think AK can find ways to be you know successful. Because in Denver, he obviously it's sad that we have to be compared to a small market team, but Denver is able to build a very strong, you know, team there. And the Bulls, he's gonna have to probably do it, go in the same route, you know, 
uh, you know, ramp up scouting, find guys in the draft that turn into stars like like Jokic and and maybe I think Michael Porter Jr. now is looking like he's you know his arrow is really pointing up if he can stay healthy. So obviously, Bull Bull is another guy that looks promising. Um, but yeah, I just think it's going to come down to. Uh, the, the AK and Eversley being, you know, really great at their jobs to, you know, make up for ownership because that's the problem, right? With Garn Pax, they were not great at their job, and then also ownership hinders them. So then you end up being what the Bulls became. Well, and I think you're you're onto something there. You 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 know, the best thing that I think AK and Mark Eversley could do is do their job in spite of the the restrictions from, from ownership. And I, I, I guess that maybe I have faith in, in AK cause I know the track records there with what he did in Denver, you know, Nikola Jokic was, was his pick. People will tell you that yeah. he was hot and heavy on Nikola Jokic. And look at that. You look at that 2014 Denver nuggets draft and you're like, Holy crap. And you know, the, the bulls aided them in part of that draft, um, yeah. especially in the first round. But yeah, it, it turned out to be you know one of one of his home run picks from from who he scouted from in, in Europe in Europe and became an MVP candidate. So you hope that's what what he can do. If the Chicago Bulls do fire Jim Boylan, if if AK and Mark Eversley are able to do their thing and start a coaching search, who is it that you would like to see on the bench for the Bulls in twenty twenty one? You know, the the usual names we keep hearing are guys like Imodoku, I wouldn't mind him. Adrian Griffin, obviously, we've talked about Kenny Atkinson. Um, you know, go into other benches like in the Spurs with uh, Becky Hammond. Um, there's another couple of, I think, guys on the Spurs bench. I think there's um, people on, um, outside of Adrian Griffin, there's another person on Nick Nurse's bench and, just look into that. I mean, enter, do a thorough search, and you know those names are out there. And even like a Dave Yoger, I think Jaeger, I think Yoger Jaeger is out there. I, f- I feel like he could be had maybe because he seemed like a good, a, a good developmental coach. And whatever issues he had, it seems to me maybe he had with ownership. I don't know what the, his whole story is with the Grizzlies. I know they. They were trying to interfere with why he wanted, how he wanted to coach the team, and they had a falling out because of that. But yeah, I would, I would look at those guys. I, I mean, I, I don't know who else, um, who else would be, uh, you know, would Kenny Atkinson intrigue you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned him, uh, Kenny Atkinson. He's, he's a guy that's uh, proven as far as developing a team and of young guys and turning them into a playoff team, you know. So, yeah, he would be on top, but that that he would he's going to cost money. True. If if you want to go the cheap route, like which it seems like they're they're kind of itching to do that you probably couldn't do an Atkinson type hire. Um no. But and I, yeah, and, and I'll say too, I feel like the Bulls are not going to be able to just offer like a 2-3 million dollar deal either. I, I think some of these coaches right now are starting out like at 5 million even like the unproven ones. So yeah, it, it will be interesting. I, I wonder what the landscape's going to look like. Cause you got to imagine some of the teams in the Orlando bubble are going to be making a coaching change. And if one of those teams is making a coaching change, especially if it's a team that's on the, on the come, you're going to have Adrian Griffin and Udoka. I mean, they're going to be 
eyeing for those jobs as well. Exactly. It depends. It all depends on who. Like this, I mean, the, excuse, the other excuse has been like, oh, well, we don't know if there's going to be good enough candidates available. That's every off season. It's not like there's a guaranteed candidate available every off season. There's always going to be that case where, I mean, unless you want to go ahead and hire someone that's proven, but the Bulls never do that anyway. So it's, that's, it's not a, it's never an excuse. It's just sometimes you just got to, you have to move on from your, your failure of a hire and improve the team. You can't just keep the guy around because you're worried that there's not going to be a good enough candidate available. Oh, we can always get the the usual college coach that always floats around with the Bulls. I, I feel like every time the Bulls have a vacancy, we always hear Tom Izzo's name. Uh, please, for the love of God, no. Um, Tom Izzo wouldn't come here anyway, so he would. It would be uh, a lot of money to get him. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, you would have to pay a lot to get a guy like Tom Izzo, and I I'm not big on the old college coaches coming to uh coming to a pro team. We saw that with John beeline last year and that was a, a disaster um salim real quick before i spring you here if you can let the people know about bulls gold and where they can follow you on twitter yeah bulls gold we do weekly episodes still uh we do air on nothing but net radio on dash radio so you can listen to them to that at eight o'clock every tuesday morning 8 a.m central and then we can all you can also listen to our any other uh all episodes as well in general on any podcast providers uh, that are out there. Like you name it, where you'll find us on there. So download us there, um, and you can follow me at uh, Jordan Dynasty, and then you can follow Edward, my co-host Edward Shula Jr. at Edward Shula Jr. And then our our Bulls Gold Twitter account is at Bulls Gold. So yeah, uh, give us a give us a listen, follow, and uh, yeah, we love feedback as well. Yeah, Bulls Gold is is one of my you know frequent listens for for Bulls podcasts. So you guys are doing a great job as always, and congrats on the on the new gig. So, um, at, you know, and I always appreciate when you agree to come on because it's always a good time and it's always fun to talk with you. So no, I appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. You're yeah, you're always uh, ready. You're always a good uh, you know person to talk hoops with. Well, you know, I try to be everybody's, you know, therapist for Chicago Bulls basketball. <laughs> so, no, seriously, Salim, thank you so much. And we'll definitely have you on for the fifth time. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts.